Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah study. We're on the triennial reading, right? Triennial, meaning we read a third of the Torah portion each year so that we can get through the entire text in three years because it takes Jews a really long time and because we don't have the attention span and time that, uh, that we would have to do it all in one year. But we want to stay with the rest of the Jewish world. We want to stay on, on the, portion that, the portion that they're on. So we just divide each portion into thirds. We're in the second third of each portion. That means today that we are beginning at chapter 31, verse 18. You're there? Awesome. Where's Moses at this point? Where was Moshe last week? Moshe's on Sinai. Right? What's Moses doing there? Having a talk, going up and down. Um, having a chat, right, with God. And why is Moses up there talking to God when God was perfectly happy re- revealing all of this to the entire people? They were afraid. They freaked out, right? They couldn't deal with it, and they say to Moses, "You go." Like, lest we die, we just can't. We can't do this. So Moshe goes to get the rest of the the Torah and to bring it down to the people. So that's the moment we're at right now. That Moshe is finishing up a conversation, a long conversation um, with God, and is coming, is getting ready to bring Torah to the people. All right, so let's look at 31.18. When he finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, he gave Moses the two tablets of the pact, stone tablets inscribed with the finger of God. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, the people gathered against Aaron and said to him, Come, make us a God who shall go before us. For that man Moses who brought us from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has happened to him. Aaron said to them, Take off the gold rings that are on the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. And all the people took off the gold rings that were on their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took, the, he took from them and cast uh, in a mold and made it into a molten calf. And they explain, exclaimed, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron announced, Tomorrow shall be a festival of the Lord. Early the next day, the people offered up burnt offerings and brought sacrifices of well-being. They sat down to eat and drink and then rose to dance. Okay. Actually, let's finish out the text. The Lord spoke to Moses, Hurry down, for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have acted badly. They've been quick to turn aside from the way that I enjoined upon them. They have made themselves a molten calf and bowed low to it and sacrificed it, to saying, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. All right, we'll stop there. We've got a bunch going on here. All right. So God finishes speaking with Moshe on Sinai and gives Moshe the luchot, right, the tablets inscribed with the finger of God. So this is these are the tablets that God writes with God's own finger, the words God blazes into the stone with God's own hand, as it were. Um, there's Midrashim that say it's, a, it's miraculous that the letters go all the way through the stone, but if you turn the stone around, the letters aren't backwards. <laughs> so some tricky engraving that was going on here. <laughs> So, th- so these are these are touched by God. These are in some way like you know the the writing on them is somehow of the divine itself. So these things are pretty darn special, right? They're really special. So Moshe is up there with God. The scene cut cut that scene right. Fin- here come the tablets. God gives Moshe the tablets. His miraculous engraved tablets. Ta 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 ta. Cut. Meanwhile, Meanwhile <laughs> at the bottom of the mountain, we have. So this is this is concurrent with what's going on with Moshe, right? So you have to back up the scene of where Moshe gets the tablets ends, and we go back to what was happening while he was on the mountain. 
When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, the people gathered against Aaron and said to him, so what, what's, what's going on here that, that Moses has gone so long? What, what's the problem? They thought maybe he died. He had no food, no water for 40 days and 40 nights. There's nobody with him. There's no evidence that he's still alive. There's no evidence that, that he's fine and hanging out with the divine, right? So they have to somehow trust that Moshe's okay without being able to see Moshe. All right, you know that I love Aviva Zornberg, right? Mm -hmm. You know that I love her commentary. So I want you to read this now from Zornberg's standpoint, who looks at Winnicott. We've talked about this before, the uh, infant mother stuff, okay? So what, what, tell me about object permanence. For infants, there is no object permanence, right? You know a baby has reached a certain developmental milestone when I take the book away and put it here and baby reaches for the book. Even though baby can't see it, baby knows the book is here. That's object permanence. Things exist even when I can't see them. If that's, if I'm talking from that perspective, what's happening here? They're still infants. They're still infants. They are seriously infantile and they cannot hold psychically hold Moses as existing if they can't see him and so then panic starts to happen right if the mother's gone too long and baby starts to realize baby can't see mom what happens panic. crying panic desertion Desertion, like so. Golden calf. We are <laughs> we are completely dependent on the mother. And when I say mother, you, you know, I mean father and uncle and grandparents. We're completely dependent as infants on that grown-up's loving care. Without the presence of that adult, we're toast. <laughs> I'm not unfair. Yeah. Okay, so that's fine. That, and that's 100%. I want to go deeper. I want us to read this. Just uh, not saying it's the only reading. If I can forgive the people better if I read it as infant mother. I'm, I'm much more able to forgive what comes next. Because just saying, okay, Moses is dead does not lead to what comes next. I'm sorry, it just doesn't. Moses is dead, we need another leader. That's what happens. That's not what happens next. What happens? What happened to Aaron, though, with all of this? Because uh, 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 right, we have to have that conversation. So the people, what do they do? They, vayikahel. Remember we've had this word? Kahal? Kehilah? We are kehilah Yisrael, yes? Kahal. They kahaled, but not in a good way. How did they kahal? Al Aharon. They kahaled on him. So they, they, they attacked him. They came together like as one on Aaron. All right. So Aaron is clearly threatened here. Um, and what do they say to Aaron? Kum, aselanu Elohim. Rise, get up, and make for us a god. Okay, that is not where you go when the leader's gone. That's where you go when object permanence isn't there and existential anxiety comes up because you have placed on Moses the importance of God. God. This, this is the problem. Moses has become such a symbol for the people of the presence of God that they are unable to hold that if Moses isn't there, There's no God. God still is. They are not able to do that. And so they have transferred so much onto Moses that he has become problematic in their relationship with the divine. They, they are making, they are placing onto Moses a lot about what gives them a sense that they are connected 
to God. That is a problem. And we see how bad a problem. Because when Moshe is gone, when they're not sure he's coming back, they gang up on the high priest and say, make us a God. So is that what Christianity is all about? To some extent, of course it is. Yeah. It's about the divinest presence in Jesus in a way that is very different right, from some kind of abstract relationship. God actually becomes human so that God can actually walk among human beings. And so in that sense, have they have access to the divine in a right. different way. And it's extraordinarily comforting from what I understand um, to have that access, right? And, and it con- to continue to have that access to Jesus, right? Which is why Jesus is the inter- intercessor often between mm-hmm. humans and the Holy Spirit or humans and the Father, right? Because it's more immediate. And, and this is why Torah is very careful to show what happens when we do that. When we need it to be the divine to be so accessible, or we, you know, we connect to the divine through a person, Torah is going to give us a story about how incredibly dangerous that is. Right? I've right. always had a real problem with Aaron's reaction. Uh, well, we're not there yet. Okay. All right, come on. All right. So I, uh, it, it, David already asked. Let's get to Aaron. Let's get to Aaron. All right. So come, make us a god. And what's going to happen with that? Asher yechulefanenu. That will walk in front of us. Because this guy Moses, that's what they say. This Moshe, right? So Jewish. This Moses, um, the man who took us up from the land of Egypt. We don't know Mahayalo. What what's the deal with him? Right, what's the problem there? What's happening? Moses, the guy who brought us up from Egypt. Who brought them out of Egypt? Oh, right. Well, they still have this confusion between Moses holding up his hand and whether he was the one who made the, the water part or whether it was God. They're not yet at the God piece. Which is problematic. Particularly if you're God. Particularly if you're God. And so Aaron says to them, Farku So take your gold ear things that are in the uh, ears of your women and your children and your daughters and bring them to me. So your sons and daughters and bring them to me. And all the people took off their gold rings that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron brought them to Aaron. Right. This is the gold they looted from the Egyptians. Egyptians loaned them. Yeah, yeah. The stuff the Egyptians loaned them. Exactly. So they all brought this to Aaron. He took it from them, cast it in a mold, and made it into a molten calf. So generally, that means. We're not sure exactly from this word what this is, um, but that hmm? takes a lot of time. So generally, what they think it is is that it's the gold became um, molten, and you lay that over something. Oh, a wooden. So you you have a wooden, you know, base, and then you lay the gold over it, and that's what this means. It's not solid gold. A solid gold calf, first of all, would have taken. A lot, a lot of gold and would have been extraordinarily heavy right you you made a god out of you know often you would ca- you would carry it right and parade it right around okay so can we talk about what Aaron didn't say <laughs> he didn't say don't, don't worry do about that. Moses he didn't say God is up there he just Wait, said okay settle down so right so 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 Aaron clearly feels threatened so is that an excuse ultimately I would think it is accepted because he becomes the high priest <laughs> he stays the high priest he stays the high priest right. what do you think well that's that's a post hoc argument I mean, that's after this therefore because of this uh, well whatever it is right. he, he's not in the hall of fame of great believers here. 
He's certainly not in the Hall of Fame of leaders unless, what, how do the rabbis defend Aaron? If he becomes the first high priest, they have to defend him. He had to do something because they were becoming riotous. And it wasn't going to do anybody any good for them to kill him. So the rabbis say he, of course, is pacifying the people, trying to delay, trying to buy some time so that when Moshe comes, the, Moshe comes back, he can say, see, yeah. here he is. So um, that he's just trying to pacify the people, keep them calm, stop any violence that, that might happen by just pacifying them with something right now, <clears throat> right? And if we go to the infant, right, he's giving them a pacifier. They are freaking out. And he's like, okay, well, look, we have to give them something. We're going we're gonna to talk about this later. I got to give them something. So he doesn't really believe that this calf is a god. Correct. So. I don't think anybody argues that Aaron thinks this is a god. Because it's their idea, right? I mean, he knows it's a god, he knows it's a god lowercase g. Of course it is, right? This is, we know this. The Pharaoh was often represented as a calf and was worshipped as a god. So this is an image that is familiar to the Israelites from Egypt. It is indeed a god, lowercase g. So Aaron knows that, right? And so uh, so here comes this molten calf. And they exclaim, what do they say, the people? This is your god, O Israel. Right? Ela Elohecha Yisrael. Asher Elucha Me'eretz Mitzrayim. That brought you up from the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw this, now see, here's where I start to have a bit of a problem with Aaron. Um, he builds an altar. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't have a conversation first with the group, like, listen, let's all be patient. He went right to, let's make a God. I mean, all right, so his, well, he, he, did, he didn't say, let's make a God. They said that. He said, okay. Well, okay, he didn't but say, he said, right. So he didn't. Right, that's what I said, but it's what he did uh, say. Oh, Laura's obviously. getting upset. So, no, what he did. Laura, you want to answer? Yeah. All right. He, he, I don't think, I think you're giving him a break too soon. <laughs> they say, make us a God, and he says, all right, let's do it. <laughs> so, so, so that's what Jody's saying. That's the same thing I'm saying. He didn't say, let's be patient, wait a minute, blah, blah, blah. He went right to the Okay, let's do this. What does he know? What does he know? He grew up in Egypt as a slave. Moses tells him a bunch of stuff that God has said. Like, so maybe, maybe Aaron isn't so clear on the rules. Maybe he wants to be the leader. Right? There's been no ban on altars. Like, what does Aaron know from you can't make an altar? Well, why not? Like, why can't you make an altar, right? Well, he had the Ten Commandments haven't arrived. <laughs> the Ten Commandments have not arrived. Oh, so they stand <laughs> by. <laughs> Hang on, because we're going to learn that this is not okay. So the often repeated comment that you do not build idols <laughs> hasn't really arrived yet. Correct. So we always think we, we're judging Aaron here in light of what we know Aaron should know as high priest. But Aaron's not high priest yet. He, there's no high priesthood yet. There is no priesthood. Moshe's carrying those instructions with him. They haven't received them yet. So we always read this in light of what Aaron should know as a good Israelite. But there is no good Israelite yet. There is no Israelite. There is only the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's it. There's no understanding at this point about what the what this new religion, remember it's a new religion, <clears throat> what is Yahwism going to look like? And <clears throat> they haven't been told yet. What is there? Aaron is the closest individual to Moses. One would have expected Moses to say to Aaron, who is his closest confidant, look, I'm going to be away for a long time. <laughs> um, that does not appear to have happened effectively because Aaron basically is saying, 
But even if Moses, Moshe had said to him, look, I'm going to be away for a long time, and the people start freaking out and rioting and say, make us a god, Aaron might have said, for the same reasons, they're going to riot, oh my god, I got to do something, I got to pacify them and make them a god. It, I agree that maybe Moshe could have talked differently to Aaron, but the other thing I want to say is Aaron is not his closest confidant, I don't think. Mm-hmm. I don't think so. Who is? What? Who succeeds Moses? Joshua. Who's on the mountain right now with Moses? Joshua. Uh-huh. Where? Yeah. He accompanies Moses. Did we read that? Yeah. Um, I made it up. We're going to see. It's, we're going to be told in a minute. I, I don't think he's... He's not at the summit. But, but he went with Moshe and is hanging out with Moshe because we're going to see that they have a little conversation. Um, right. He's like at base camp one and Moshe's all the way at the top. Right. So, um, so I, I think Aaron is a functionary. Right. The, the priesthood is not a highly creative job. The priesthood is about making sure the trains run on time. The clock keeps perfect time. The same thing over and over and over and over. And paying attention to every detail being done exactly the way it needs to be for everything to run smoothly. That's the priesthood. The, yeah. But they didn't grow up together. Moshe grew up in the palace. Moshe knows nothing of Aaron's life. I mean, they might talk about it at night over the campfire, but they, they, are, not, they are not the unit. No. The, the role of the priest is what I just said. What is Moshe's role? What is he called? He's a teacher. What's he called in Torah? That's rabbinic. Because oh, okay. they're teachers. <laughs> they, they make him a teacher. Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe R. Right, Rabbeinu. Rabbi. He's kind of the founder. What's, his, what's he called? What's his job? Leader. He's a prophet. prophet. Oh. There never arose within Israel a prophet like Moses again. You've got the priest and the prophet. They are completely different Separate. roles. The role of the priest is to make sure the clock keeps exact time. What is the role of the prophet? Lead into the future and know the future. And? And? To convey God's will. But what, the, the role, if this is regulating everything and keeping it going exactly as it has been, exactly the same, the role of the prophet is to criticize what is. And to say, you're not doing it right. You're messing it all up. God wants something else. You're, you're screwing the whole thing up. That's the role of the prophet, to be a critic, right? This is why the prophets get in trouble. They are not popular people. They are revolutionaries, absolutely. This is why Jesus got into so much trouble. He was a a prophet. And they always get in trouble because they are always agitating and saying God wants something different than what's happening. They are revolutionary. No one likes a revolutionary. Right? If, if, you're invo- if you're invested in the system, that's the last thing you want is somebody coming over and messing with everything, right? So, so in that sense, Moses and Aaron are diametrically opposed in like their, what their roles and functions are going to be. So Aaron might be very happy to see Moses gone. So? Is there a midrash as to what happened between the time that the people said, make us bless God? <coughs> And Aaron responded to them. There's kind of a hole there. Uh, yeah. As for all the things that we said he didn't say, I mean, is there midrash like he really knew or God came down and told him? I, I would, my guts tell me there has it to must be. be. <laughs> there has okay. to be because cause I know some of these stories about the rabbi saying he's, hold, he's doing a placeholder. He went, mm-hmm. you know, so there must be somewhere there's midrashic material. The words, it has to be. Well, the other thing, though, that to remember is you talked about, you know, okay, this priests, what do priests do? Well, if in the Canaanite community where they came from, there were many gods, and there were always images of them, which people even kept in their houses, number one. So what he came up with, uh, <laughs> we better make one. We need one. And the, the calf it was not a strange choice either. Right. It's a familiar choice. To the people, if you're going to pacify them, you don't give them an elephant, right? That, that, something they've never well in India that would work, but they but they haven't seen that, right? But they right give them something 
familiar to them. And so that's what he does. But wasn't it also an Egypt, one of the Egyptian gods was uh, a cow or a cat? Yeah, a, definitely. A big one. I mean, a big, a big, uh, a big god, not just one of the ordinary gods. One of the more a big one. Gods. One of the important ones. Yeah. Um, uh, yes. So it's so it's very familiar to them. He builds an altar. What does he say? So then Aaron says, we're at the end of verse 5. So, Rita, Vayomer Aharon, Vayomer, Chag, what? Chag, Ladonai, Machar. So, tomorrow there's going to be a Chag, there's going to be a festival to whom? Oh. But before that, they used the calf. The calf was Elohim, plural, and now was singular. So, so they say, make for us, make for us a god, right? So Aaron does it, and then Aaron announces, kind of in the role of priest, announces tomorrow is a festival to whom? Yeah, they love the real, the real God. Aha. Uh-huh. So, has Aaron actually sinned? I don't know. He built an altar. <laughs> but the altar, we're going, who are we going to worship at that altar? Uh-huh. Yudhe Vavhe. So, maybe Aaron is saying, Okay, they, they want, <laughs> they need a little something because they're going wacko here. But, this is no. but I can save this. Right. I can pull this out. If I just give them a pacifier, I can say, that pacifier is mommy. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Mommy's not here. They're panicking. Right? So if I give them a pacifier, mommy's coming home soon. M- mommy loves you. Mommy will be here. Tomorrow, so we have a whole other day now before the Hajj. We have a whole other day before Chag. So classic bait and switch. <laughs> classic bait and switch. So some want to say that Aaron is actually trying to hold this thing together. That he, they're rioting and wanting a god. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll make a god because that's what you're familiar with. That's what you know. But we're having a Chag. To Yudhe We are not abandoning this God who brought us out of Egypt. This is the God that brought us out of Egypt. And if y'all need to, if you need like a, a thing right now to hang on to, a blankie to hold on to, because you're freaking out that, that Yudhe Vavhe's substitute is gone, okay. But I can, I, can, I can pull this out. And maybe Moshe will come back. Right? Most kind of do. Right? So the, there are some explanations that say the people started counting a day early. That they, that they were supposed to start counting the next day, 40 days and 40 nights. They started counting a day early, so now Moses is late. All right. So I love the relationship. One day more than 39. I don't in know. Sense, it just kind of means a long time. <laughs> right. like Clearly, literarily, 40 means a, a complete set that makes a nice long time. Like the, the ark, like, right? The rain in one version, anyway. 40 years. Like, so that's, that's our, that's, literarily, that's a number for sure. But, but there's no indication that it doesn't mean actually 40 days in our story. The relationship between Hog and Hodge. Yes. In the air world. Yes. It never occurred. Islam got that from here. Absolutely. All right. Uh, So, oh, and so if Moshe's late by a day, then like Mohammed said, we just bought a day. Right. Right? Just wait till tomorrow. Just wait. If I can stall them one more day, Moshe should be back. And in fact, that's what happens. Yes. Doesn't it? Yes. Yes. Okay. So maybe God, in, in the Midrash we don't have here, maybe God told Aaron, he's on his way down, he'll be back in a day, just hold him off. Yeah. Well, that would work except for the fact that things go wacko crazy, after, right? Uh-huh. They are punished severely for this. And so then that would be on God. Which, he isn't. 
isn't unthinkable. But all right, I know. But but for God to tell Moses Aaron something that would have Aaron go ahead and make the calf would be problematic because then people get wiped out for it. That's not our story. <laughs> our story is that this is how we pacified them for Because they asked for it. They were rioting for it. It is not just that they had um, Aaron. Could you make us a... I mean, the sense is his life is in danger. They are coming at him, you know, saying, get up and make up, right? And that if he says no, they rip him limb from limb. I mean, that's the sense. They need their milk. They need their milk. And they will do whatever it takes. They'll wail and scream as, or do whatever they have to, right, to raise the roof. And if you've ever had to listen to the baby cry, you just want it to stop. <laughs> you just want it to stop. Make it stop. All right. So tomorrow will be a Chag Ladonai. Early the next day, the people offered up burnt offerings. See how eager they are? They get up early. Right? So he's trying to buy time, and they're getting up early. Uh, so they offer up burnt offerings and brought sacrifices of well-being and they sat down to eat and drink and then they arose where at the end of verse 6 they so lechol v'shato they, they ate and drank vayakumu and they got up to do what? Ahaha. thank you Rita they got up letzachek that's that word that root again oh there's that word again where have we seen this word letzachek to play? Good <laughs> it's not good play. Where have we seen it? One of the. Let's s- Somebody. The sons they were they were playing. The siblings, the siblings. who. Yitzchak. <laughs> and. Ishmael. Let's right? Yitzchak. It's a play on Yitzchak, but it's also why Ishmael gets kicked out. Sarah sees Ishmael, tzacheking. With Yitzchak. Okay, so you have to go, hmm, playing with him doesn't... Why would he get kicked out for that? Mm-hmm. Right, so we've talked about it. It could be mocking. It could be that he's trying to be Yitzchak. So he's Yitzchaking, right? With the, all the things... Okay, but we... Okay, so we can leave that and say we're not clear what that is. But we have another instance of this word, Litzachek, where we know what it means. Who Who's involved there? Rivka... And her husband are on the roof and they are pretending to be husband and wife. They are discovered not to be, I mean, they're, they're pretending, pretending to be sister and brother. When they are spotted tzacheking on the roof, then Avimelech understands they are not, in fact, brother and sister. They are husband and wife. That lets us know this word definitely can have sexual connotations. So you're saying these are sexual rights, which would be why they were punished and not Aaron? This is an orgy. This is bacchanal. Right? They are eating and drinking and rising up to play. And your translation says, da- okay, really? They're not dancing. They're dirty dancing, right? They are, they are, very, dirty they are very, very dirty dancing, right? This is orgiastic kinds of so right. where was Sam Behaviors. Goldwyn when he, when he was making all <laughs> I know, right? Movies. Not exactly how it appears in the film, but, but actually, they actually, they're kind of, I think they were like, why do they translate it as dance? It gives totally the I know. I know, it's unfortunate. Well, what, what, how would you translate it otherwise without completely going into it in another direction? Well, playing with each other. Fooling They got up to fool around. Right? All right, so... And maybe may one of the inter, one of the translations of letzachek is to dance. You know, the, the, there's probably a lot of elements, but 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 just referencing where we've seen it before, particularly with Rebecca and Isaac, it's it's very clear it's got sexual overtones, and, and and that that is very appropriate here, like about what's happening. There's not just dancing, <laughs> you know. It's it's 
it's sexual. This is sexual because that's what you did. That's how you worship the gods. That's how you worship fertility gods. You had sex. It makes perfect sense. If it's magic, what I do here affects what happens there. Then if I want fertility from up there, I'd better get busy like making that happen here. That's how you that's how you influence the magical system. Isn't that still part of Shabbat? That is different. That is different. That is about oneg. That is about pleasure. This was um, the Canaanites at that point. The people who were there. The the peoples around them had a lot of sexual rights. And yeah, that absolutely. Because so that's what you that's what you did. This would not have been unusual at all. This would not have been unusual at all. So, switch back to the mountain. Mehmet is a filmmaker, so like, right? Cut, cut that scene and go back to the mountain. God speaks to Moses. And what does God say to Moses? Lech, red, go, get down. For your people, who you brought out of the land of Egypt, have acted basely. Now that Moses brought them and, right, so your people that you brought out of the land of Egypt, so your son, you will not believe what he did. Go get your son that you insisted we have. Right, so um, God is like, your problem. You need to get down there and handle this. Um, they have been quick to turn aside from the way that I enjoined upon them. They've made themselves a molten cap and bowed low to it and sacrificed <coughs> to it, saying, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And God further says to Moshe, I see that this is Am Kshe'oref, a stiff-necked people. He had no idea. Now, let me be that my anger may blaze forth against them and that I may destroy them and make of you a great nation. But Moses implored God, saying, Let not your anger, O God, blaze forth against your people whom you've delivered from the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Let not the Egyptians say, It was with evil intent that he delivered them, only to kill them off in the mountains and annihilate them from the face of the earth. Turn from your blazing anger and renounce the plan to punish your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, how you swore to them by yourself and said to them, I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars of heaven, and I will give to your offspring this whole land of which I spoke to possess forever. And God renounced the punishment that God had planned to bring upon the people. Mm Is this a rhetorical question? (laughs) Sort of. Um, um, God is saying, Moses, your people, you you know, get your people in mind. But these were God's people. He brought them through and did all these things. And it seems that there is a pretty double standard in terms of um, who's. Well, that's what we just said, right? That's why we were all laughing, because we all recognize this. Your son. Yeah, go. Your son. It's not your son. That's our son. When do I say, go get your son? When do I say that? When you're mad. When I'm mad. When I'm renouncing my son on some level because they've done something horrible in my eyes. That's when it's like, it's your son, right? It's a natural... I think Torah is tongue-in-cheek. I think Torah totally understands God here as a parent who is co-parenting with Moses and says, your kid right, has really done it this time. So you need to get downstairs and handle that. Don't set, don't let me come down there. You get to, right? You know, don't make me come down. I have a sign that says, don't make me come down there, God. Right? Like... Sometimes you send the, the other parent because if you come down there, what's going to happen? Yeah, it is not going to be pretty. But, but I have a problem with God's co-parenting with Moses. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not equal. This is not two equals that are you know, co-parents. But you don't need to have equals to have co-parents. Women have never been equal in the history of the world, and they've been the moms. Yeah. 
They've been t- dominated and told what to do, and whatever the fate of that child was going to be was decided by the father. But mom, mom was critically important for the interface that she was. Moses is critical in the development of this people because they, we see that they cannot be God's people. They're not able to. God is starting to learn that. God isn't there yet, but God's going to get there, right? But, but the co-parenting is actually a metaphor that works because this is this whole thing is a story of co-evolution, where we're where we're evolving towards God and God is evolving yes. towards us, right? It's not like God is this independent entity who, at the beginning of the story, already knows everything. He's kind of figuring things out too as this is going along. He's figuring it out to the extent where he's writing the Ten Commandments. But can't control what they're doing. So, right? So, yes, God knows what should happen. But what I think Richard is saying is God doesn't understand that just saying that to the people is going to have them fall in line and do it. God learns over and over and over and over through the desert that this people can't do it. But it takes till that last straw right before God evolves to a place to understand it's going to take a next generation who can do it. Y'all, your carcasses are going to drop in the desert is, is the decree, right? And so uh, both parties are learning and trying to figure it out. And this group and God never figure it out. Their children will inherit the relationship with God. Laura? It does seem like an extraordinary leap projecting human emotions onto God to say, well, obviously this is God saying, your son. Is there another explanation that, that seems possible to you of why God would say to Moses, your people? No. And not my people or those people? Well, okay, so without without being too personification-y, um, it is an expression of alienation. So... The people have just alienated themselves from God, and this is an exp- a literary expression of that. Your people, right now, right they, there's a distance that's created between God and the people because of what they've done. Which is, I see as a difference than elevating Moses, which is another, the other way of saying is your people elevates Moses, who you brought out. It's not to elevate Moses no. to God's level. It's to no. push all of them. No, right. Look, right. you don't have to raise Moses' level at all to, to understand that he is the mother of these people. Right? God can't do it without Moses. So it can't happen without Moshe. Like Moshe's already important. He's so important that when he's gone, they flip out. He's already too important. Right, so you don't have to elevate Moshe at all to have God kind of in conversation with Moses about the people because they've been doing this together. But at this, but at this point, given what's going to happen in the next two verses, God has to say your people because He can't say my people at this point because two verses later He, he can't say I am going to destroy my people because He has to be I'm going to destroy your people, right? There's a a comment here in the book that says there's a striking midrash that pictures God as a wife and Moses as God's husband, Ish HaElohim. Ish means man, but in the context it can also mean husband. And that kind of reinforces what you're saying about them having a relationship because the question is when, when God says now let me be, as if somehow okay, Moses so let's go there. Control. So let's go there. Yeah. So, um, so God says to Moses, right? This is a am oref. This is a stiff-necked people. Mm-hmm. And to, right to your point, va'ata. And now, hanichali. Right. So what? What is hanicha? Yeah. <laughs> Leave me, me alone. Break. Give me a break. <laughs> um, so what? That certainly implies that God gives to Moses a certain kind of influence. To have to say to Moses, let me be. Why would God need permission? Why would God need permission to be left alone? Like, right? So it's, this, this relationship between God and Moses is very intimate. So God says to Moshe, right, leave me alone. Let me be. 
Maybe let me and think the, about it. Huh? Let me deal with this. Let me so the rabbis say that this is God saying to Moses, argue against me. God is inviting Moses by, by saying, let me alone, leave me alone, let me be. God, God is suggesting you have the power to not let me alone. Why do I need to tell you to leave me alone if you don't have the power to bug me? Right? So God is saying, you have the, you can do something here. But leave me alone. I don't want to talk about it. Which means, <laughs> come here. I want to talk about it. Right? Help me, because I'm I'm about right. So all right. So let me be that my anger may blaze forth against them, that I may destroy them and make of you a great nation. So God is saying, I'm gonna, right? Oh, I'm gonna start over. We, where did we see this before? <clears throat> Noah. God regrets having created this mess. And that divine regret leads God to want to start over. So takes the whole ball of clay and starts over. So I'm going to start over because this people clearly don't get it. it. So I'm going to destroy them, but I'm not going to betray my promise, right, to make of this line a great people because I'm going to make them out of you, Moses. (laughs) I'm going to make you into a great... um, Goigadol, a great nation. But Moses implores God, right, saying, let your anger not blaze forth against your people whom you delivered from the land of Egypt. You can't ignore the text. It's beautiful. Your people who you brought out of the land of Egypt, God says to Moses. And Moses says to God, your people who you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand. Like, I could have done that. Right? Like, you think I could have split the water? Who brought them out? Let's be clear here, God. Let's be clear. But isn't this also a part of what we see in parenting becoming more adult when we realize we don't have control over everything? And the people have the ability to make choices. I think it's a real difference here in Judaism that we recognize when we hear from the Shoah, where was God? You know, people have choices, and people can make bad choices, and God is recognizing, if we're personificationing again, (laughs) God is realizing his people, our people, make choices, and they're not always great. Okay, well, interesting that Moses does not go there. Right. Moses doesn't say, well, you know, that, what does Moses say? Uh-uh. Now, in, in verse 12, this, if you, if you destroy them, what are the Egyptians going to say? What are the Egyptians? Huh? As if God would worry about it. It works. Oh, yeah. It works. That's right. no, so remember, it works because God said this was a big deal. I'm gonna we brought down all these plagues. I'm gonna show them. They think their gods are so great. I'm way better. Than I'm way gods. better. And, and so bragging, <laughs> right? So Moshe's like, sorry. you did this whole big deal. You drew a lot of attention to yourself over there in Egypt with all that frog locust stuff and now they're going to hear that you brought those people out and just to kill them, them in the desert and, and, and you killed a lot of babies to save these people I mean, you did a lot of destruction and, you're, and you did all that just yeah. to annihilate them in the desert is that really how you want to be known <laughs> what, do you really want them saying that about you it's interesting this is completely different from Noah who never protested. God said, I'm going to destroy everything. Noah said, okay. Which is why the Where rabbis you know, hang on those words about he was righteous in his generation. Right. That's why they seize on those words because they're like, if you're truly righteous in every generation, you would be arguing with God about your reputation among the Egyptians. Using whatever works. So Moses has quite a unique, unique place in that respect. Mm-hmm. He was the, the arguer in chief. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, how you swore to them by your own self and said that you will make them as you know, as numerous, blah, 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 and that you're going to give them this land. And so God says, okay, I'm not going to bring this down on the people. All right, we're just going to do a little, oh, how does this happen? All right, we're going to do a little bit more because I want to close the scene. All right, Bert, 15? 15. Thereupon. Moses turned and went down from the mountain bearing the two tablets of the pact, tablets inscribed on both their surfaces. They were inscribed on the one side and on the other. 
The tablets were God's work, and the writing was God's writing, incised upon the tablets. When Joshua heard the sound of the people in its boisterousness, he said to Moses, There's a cry of war in the camp. But he answered, It is not the sound of the tune of triumph or the sound of the tune of defeat. It is the sound of song that I hear. Okay. All right, go ahead. Okay. We'll come back. <laughs> as soon as Moses came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing. dancing. <laughs> Here it's dancing. Okay. Machalot. Uh, he became enraged and he hurled the tablets from his hands and shattered them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it. He ground it to powder and strewed it upon water and so made the Israelites drink it. Uh-huh. You want a calf? There you are. I'll give you a calf. You're so in love with this calf? No problem. You want meat? What happens in the desert? You want meat? I'll give you so much meat it's coming out your nostrils. Right? You can't what you pray for. You can't, you can't what you ask for. All right, go ahead. Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you've brought such great sin upon them? Aaron said, Let not my Lord be enraged. You know that this people is bent on evil. Therefore, they said to me, Make us a God to lead us. For that man Moses who brought us in the land of Egypt, we do not know what has happened to him. So I said to them, Whoever has gold, take it off. They gave it to me, and I hurled it into the fire. (laughs) (laughs) So so we're not the only one who have a problem with what's going on with Aaron, right? Moshe seems to have the same question, right? And here would be a great place for Aaron's defense case to be made, right? I was afraid for my life. Right. I was giving them a great big old pacifier. Where the heck were you, by the way? Right. So, but do we get any of that? No. He said the snake made me do it. <laughs> <laughs> I threw the gold. They wanted to go, so they gave me their gold. So I threw it in the fire, and boom! <laughs> out, came. out came this cat. <laughs> that, that unbelievable. Unbelievable. <laughs> Right? Right. And um, Zornberg takes this, and it's a little more, not poignant, but for her, this is inevitable. They have fixated on Moses, right, as the God substitute for so long that when he leaves and they freak, they, there has to be a pacifier. You they're going to reach for something that when he puts that gold in the fire, the only thing that can, can come out is a God. The only thing that can come out of that is something familiar to them that's going to work to pacify them. It can't be anything else. Like for her, this is, it's, I, it's funny every time I read it still, I think it's hilarious, but, but she really brings a seriousness to it that what Aaron is saying in, in a sense is there was no other way this could go. There were, once they were insistent with gold about me making something, it, it, calf, raw, Isis, it's a substitute. It, something, this, this is what was going to come out. God, little G. It happened to be a calf. But, but there, was no, there was no other solution. There was no other options here. This was inevitable because that's where they're, they don't know where else to go. That's the only place they know to go. But Aaron made the calf. And now all of a sudden, yeah. when his feet are at the fire, Aaron is waffling and saying, all I did was destroy the gold and boom. Out, out comes this calf. As if by magic, I have nothing to do with the calf. Right? Really? So Aaron's regard for the truth is somewhat, you know, that's also mentally appropriate for a child who maybe is suddenly realizing that what they did, what they thought was a good idea at the time, they see now mom's mad. So they have so it probably wasn't a great choice. Yeah, so there's a story. A dog at the back. 
right? I was over there, and then all of a sudden I heard this noise, and I came back in, and all of the china was on the floor, broken. Well, to continue the metaphor that we've been playing with all along, with with God and Moses being the parents arguing about what's been going on down there, Aaron is the runs the daycare center. Both parents are gone. And they, and they, for some unaccounted reason, they're a day late getting back, and all hell is broken loose at the daycare center. And they're saying, what's up? What happened? And, and, you know, and the head of the daycare center says, I don't know. <laughs> I was making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And the next thing I knew, there was a golden cow right there in the playroom. Right? So. <laughs> they what? <laughs> so. Mehmet is saying so. Is it so terrible? It's a toy. It's not really Yudhe Vavhe. An idol is never the God. The idol is always a representation of the God. No one, no one worships an idol thinking the God is in the idol. That's just people who don't understand idolatry. Idolatry is the idol is the image of the God and points towards the God. So Aaron if we're going to go to that, it could have been worse, is not pointing anywhere other than Yudhe The calf was never the issue, the God. It's pointing towards Yudhe Okay, that's not how we're going to do it anymore going forward, but they don't know that yet. So let them have their God. It's harmless, right? Could be the argument. It's just harmless. And if we're worshiping Yodhei okay, we'll figure out how that's supposed to look now that we're Yaoists and we're not supposed to do that other stuff anymore. But for right now, it's what they're comfortable with. As long as we're worshiping Yodhei Vavhe, what's the harm? But it's a huge leap in intellectual Which, which is maybe how we can forgive them. How Aaron was able to live with this was, you're asking them. He, they haven't been told you can't have an idol, right? <laughs> right? Like, but I think even I, at that time, that was just that was a huge leap. Well, and what we forget is that this was a huge leap in the ancient world. This is the biggest leap ever in the ancient world. I will say theologically, right? That, not only are the characters in the book not ready, the Israelites who were reading and telling this and writing this weren't ready. Remember, you've heard me say, so those of you who are new haven't heard me say, not one period of Israelite history has homes without idols in it. Not one. Why are the prophets always yelling and screaming about Asherah and Baal? Why do they have to yell and scream about that? Because the Israelites never stopped worshiping those gods. Never. So they couldn't even make that jump. The people who were telling this story couldn't make that leap, right? We struggle, I'm going to suggest, to make the leap all the time. And that's why God gets so mad. Why is God so angry? Because I've asked you to make a jump. Stop focusing on a part of the whole and calling it the whole. That's idolatry. Is the calf part of God? Of course. God is in everything. Is what the calf represents part of Yudhei Vavhei? Absolutely. That's not the problem. The problem is you're focusing on a part and calling it Yudhei Vavhei. That is a sin. You are not allowed, you Israelites, to point to any small part of reality and call it Reality Capital R. That is going to be tough. But if you want to build a society of equity and of justice and of compassion, you are going to have to make the leap because it is too dangerous to idolize one component as if it were the whole shebang. And that is our problem today. Just pick a word, consumption. Let's just just go there. 
How many people define their whole identities are about what they make and what they consume? That is what this country is based on. What we make and what we consume is our identity. That is idolatry, says Yudhe Vapin. Ultimately, it ends in despair because you realize you get everything, Because it's a thing filled with itself. A calf is a thing filled with itself. What are they supposed to build? What they were not supposed to be doing this. They were what were they were supposed to be building? What is God giving them the instructions to build? The Mishkan. They're supposed to be building the Mishkan, and at the center of the Mishkan, we've said this before, at the center of the Mishkan is what? Space. The holy of holy the Mishkan designates a space. At the center of that space is a box made out of wood. Wood lined with gold that demarcate inside a place built of wood and gold. And what does it demarcate? Space. To hold what? The teachings. The teachings. That's, That's what's supposed to be happening. Sacred space. And at the center of that, you, what should your focus be if you want something that's going to point to God? Not a thing filled with itself and layered in gold. A space made of wood and gold. And at the center, the teachings about how to create a just and equitable society. That's why God gets so mad. The calf is antithetical to the teaching. It's teaching, it's opposite of what's that? Unteaching, unlearning, dislearning. That's what the cab is. It's like, look at me, look at me, look at me. Look at my wood and gold. Look at my new car. Look at my big house. You should, did you hear about my vacation? (laughs) That's the opposite of focus on each other. Focus on who you are and how you're behaving. Isn't it sort of approaching? Uh, in terms of the Western Wall, I think there's a little too much emotional energy on the wall, and not about it's, it's just a piece of thing. Mm-hmm. So, yes. so yes, and the wall is important for some people as a statement, and I know you know this, but, I'm, mm-hmm. but, but I don't want to. Sometimes I think yes, the focus is way too much on the wall, and it becomes idolatrous. On the other hand. What some people are saying is who this country is going to be is based on who decides what my relationship to that wall is. You, you don't get to tell me I can't go there if I want to and do what I want to unless you're going to live in a theocracy. Mm-hmm. And are you ready to do that? Well, then we're not a democratic country. Right? So, so I get it that there's a lot of focus on the wall, but really what a lot of the fighting for access to it is about is about who, d- who defines where and how I can be in relationship to the sancta of the Jewish people. I had, um, I've always thought that the phrase leap of faith is kind of, uh, is just that, just an expression. But if you, if you look at what's constantly going on here, um, that, that is what God is continuing to hope that the people will ultimately do. That they will actually act, that they will actualize this leap of faith that allows them to to transcend the small G that they insist on having to the capital G, which represents reality with a capital R. Right? It's almost it's almost like it's almost like in the in the Indiana Jones movies where where at the at the end going towards the Holy Grail. You have to take that step off over what appears to be a chasm, and because the, the people have to see that they have to take that leap, and there and it's and it's a scary thing. Yeah, and it remains terrifying right. for I mean, us, even, even and that's why we go get a new car, right. right? So first of all, Moses is gone way too long all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Any evidence I have that God is at work in my life disappears, and when it disappears for too long, what happens? I panic, right? And when I panic, I'm going to reach for a calf, 
right? I'm going to reach for something that, that immediately, we, we feel it come up and like, and then we, 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 ha- we have to put that somewhere. We don't know what to do with it, which is why we're going to meditate in a few minutes, <laughs> right? Because we have to learn if we're going to make that leap, we have to learn to hold the anxiety first and allow ourselves to be able to calm the panic without needing to grab for something you know, the pa- without needing to grab for the pacifier. And when we can do that, when we learn to do that, and we learn it over and over and over again, that's what spiritual practice is. Learning over and over again to channel the panic and calm ourselves with actual contact with the actual God, capital G, yud heh reality, capital R, to hold it, to confront it, to be in direct relationship with it, and then we can settle down. And then we can bring that back through ourselves and our lives and allow it to impact and help influence how we behave, how we talk to one another, how we talk to ourselves, and the kind of world and society that we build. Shabbat Shalom. You've been listening to Rabbi Amy Bernstein's Friday Morning Torah Study from Kehillat Israel in Pacific Palisades, California. For more information, go to our website, www.ourki.org.